Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Editor's Note. I'm Yair Pinto, and together with me, as always, is TV7 Editor and Chief Jonathan Hassan. How are you doing? Thank you. It's a blessing to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you here, as always, and it's good to be here. But I think before we start to dive into all of the topics uh, that we have for today and for the past week, um, we would like to ask God to join us. And I would like to invite our extended family back at home to pray with me. This day. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are good, that you are loyal. We pray that you will bless us, bless this program, speak through us, and touch the hearts of everybody who's watching us and everybody here in the studio. We also pray for provision for operations in Israel, and that we can really grow and do the good work that you set on our hearts to do. We pray that you will touch the hearts of everybody that is involved with TV7 Israel News. Bless this program, bless Jonathan and myself. B'Shem Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Well, Jonathan, uh, as always, the events never stop and there's always something new to discuss, so where do you want to start today's program? Well, we live in interesting times. Obviously, last week uh, there was somewhat of an uptick in uh, rhetoric and, and discussion surrounding the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, JCPOA, mm-hmm. which is obviously the technical term for the 2015 nuclear agreement, uh, with Iran on curbing its uh, nuclear program. Uh, to limits that are sufficient Mm -hmm. for civilian use. Uh, In response, uh, the international community, particularly uh, the United States, Europe, and uh, other countries uh, that are within that block, okay? Japan is in that block, Australia Mm -hmm. is in that block, but they're not necessarily in the West. Of course, Canada is also in that block. Um, They reciprocate by uh, providing sanctions relief to the Ayatollah regime, uh, particularly on nuclear-related sanctions. Mm -hmm. Under Resolution uh, uh, 231, uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran has been uh, under uh, scrutinizing uh, or a incruciating Mm -hmm. uh, sanctions regime. Uh, This uh, uh, sanctions regime obviously has been fluctuating over the years, uh, in 2015, of course, when the 2015 nuclear agreement was adopted, uh, it uh, provided a period of sanctions relief. Nevertheless, uh, we saw that the influx of cash into Iran uh, caused quite the havoc throughout the Middle East. Uh, we saw significant amounts mm-hmm. of uh, precision uh, guided munitions trying to make their way, mm-hmm. with emphasis on trying. Uh, to uh, Lebanon, nevertheless succeeding to make their way into Yemen, uh, mm-hmm. where they've been utilized to target uh, 
moderate partners of Israel in the United States and the Western camp, basically, mm-hmm. including the GCC nations, uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, among others, of course. Uh, Iraq has been uh, a recipient of many precision-guided munitions that have been also utilized against U.S. forces and U.S. coalition forces uh, from Germany to the Netherlands to uh, Canada to Mm -hmm. Australian forces all have come under fire by weapons that were supplied by the Islamic Republic of Iran and under the directives of the Islamic Republic of Iran uh, or the Revolutionary Guards particularly, Mm -hmm. uh, activities have been undertaken in order to struggle for for power you know the iranians want to take over the middle east Mm -hmm. as a staging point for the latter part of their um religious plan taking over the world but so they do that through their proxies through other groups that they have deals with so the west is tired of wars justifiably so Uh, nobody Mm -hmm. wants war uh, nor does israel uh, for yeah. that matter, uh, we do aspire for peace, and and we we can see of uh, in the last. I always do it, but uh, last week I've been going through the archives of the CIA on the declassified um, documents, mm-hmm. and last week I focused particularly on the '90s and, and the early 2000s uh, with regard to policy policy of the Clinton administration initially. Uh, in dealing with uh, particular uh, developments throughout the world, but also in the Middle East, uh, mm-hmm. where there was a whole discussion on how to avoid um, national wars or wars based on, on um, the, the well, country, country against people, country, uh, peoples against peoples, okay. because you have different peoples living within the same countries. Uh, just Lebanon, for instance, you have, <coughs> excuse me, the Christian Maronites, the, the uh, Orthodox uh, Christians, the uh, Roman Catholic Christians, and then you have mm-hmm. the Shiite Muslims, the Alawites, uh, which are also part of the Shiite camp. Then you have the Sunni Muslims. Uh, then you have the Druze. So you have so many different groups. And then within this construct, you have also families. So there are... Uh, those who follow Nabi Beri of the Amal movement within the Shiite society, and you have those who are following uh, uh, Hassan al-Salah from Hezbollah in the Shiite movement. Yeah. So you have those two. In the Druze camp as well, you have Walid Jumblat and, and the rival family. Uh, so it's always about historic alliances um, that are based on marriages. Okay. By the way, also in the Christian camp, mm-hmm. you have the... Christian Lebanese forces, and then you have uh, the more mainstream of Michel Aoun, the the president currently of Lebanon, who is, even though in the past he was anti-Syria and anti-Iran, now he is pro-Hezbollah and they're aligned in many different uh, interests, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly because they're afraid. They don't see Western response. They don't see Western backing to the Christians as it used to be. Back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, there was clarity that, uh, you know, the the Catholics always had 
the protection of France. Mm-hmm. The uh, Orthodox always had a protection of Greece and of uh, Russia. Uh, the Protestants always had a protection of the United Kingdom, and the Druze had a protection of the United Kingdom. Uh, the Jews had the protection of the world Jewry, but also of the United States of America. So those camps were always clearly set. Um, so now they're not so clearly set? That's what they're the- not clear. They're not clear um, very much for the case that much of the migration taking place into the West, um, if... In the past, we would define the United States to be Christian, you know, even though its constitution is secular with uh, its federal constitution. I'm not talking about the state constitutions. Mm-hmm. Um, the federal constitution doesn't mention God even once. Okay, this in contrast to European countries where the United Kingdom, uh, the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, for that matter, Uh, Spain, Italy, they're all defined as Christian countries in their constitution. Mm-hmm. Their Christian identity is within that constitution. Nevertheless, the migration into the United States, the migration into Europe has changed that balance where in the past, uh, just in the United States particularly, 70% in 91 defined themselves as Christians. In the United States, today it's roughly 49%. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about the overall Christian definition of Catholic, Protestant, and, and, and everything. And is that, is that because do they define themselves as other religion? Or they can also, they just, you know, abandon religion altogether? There's these, been these a significant influx of Muslims mm-hmm. uh, into Western societies. Uh, a very significant uh, influx of Indians. Uh, okay. who are Hindu. Hindu. Uh, you have uh, an also very unfortunate increase of people who do not have any faith, define themselves as seculars. So yeah. they believe that there is no God, so they're still believers, just they don't believe in God. In, yeah. in God. Um, which obviously tends to, to translate into... Um, less conservative values. Yes. They're more in, in the sense of whatever trend is a hype at that moment, yeah. they'll, they'll go with that. It's not always the case, okay? There are seculars who uh, have conservative values, but it also derives from the education system that they received, uh, received yes. and, and uh, ultimately this has impact. So the Middle East is changing. The sands are shifting mm-hmm. because we're seeing that the West is shifting. It's changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Christianity in, in uh, pretty much almost every country is diminishing. Yes, uh, I see. So then so the, the alliances and the support and the values is all different. Uh, you know, if we continue with the trends as they are right now, in the future, Iran will become a Christian country. <laughs> So there is an irony in there. Uh, well, are you okay. talking about the revival in Iran? There is a huge revival in Iran, yeah. uh, which intelligence services uh, indicate that this may uh, be the, the response to the, the regime in, in Tehran. Uh, okay. The same is happening, obviously, also in China. It's happening uh, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. We're seeing suddenly things are, are changing across the board and, and the world, let alone the last 30 years, but also in the last three years, you know, the world is not the same. Um, 
well, definitely the past two years or two or three years of COVID changed the, the world completely. Indeed. Indeed. But uh, more than that, I think there's a trend, especially in Europe and in the, in the United States, with migration of people from you know, Africa, Middle East, that changes the population. Also, the, the birth rate in people in, in Europe or in European families. Absolutely. Right? There, there is a significant impact there. And, you know, what, what's very frustrating uh, to people... Uh, particularly in the conservative camp, but also in the Christian conservative camp. Um, and not everybody who calls themselves are conservatives. Uh, there are the neoconservatives, the Tories in, in the UK. They're the one who promoted, you know, same-sex marriage and, and all kind of woke ideals uh, within society. Not even the liberal left has done that. Uh, really? Okay, the, the so how can they be... The definition of neoconservative is basically their their focus is economic. They're conservative, economically speaking. When it comes to the soul, they don't really care. And their wokeism is as terrible as as anybody else. I see. So just economically speaking. Yes. And I'm talking obviously collectively. There are individuals within those camps who are still uh, truly conservative and seek uh, Mm -hmm. to, to further conservative values, Christian values, geo-Christian values, um, which those are the individuals that we need to support. We need to stand behind them and to say, you know what, we, we are here to to have our voice, especially mm-hmm. in democratic societies. Wherever we are, we need to make sure that those representing us in democratic societies uh, represent not only part of our faith, not only part of our values, but a collective understanding of who we are, what we are, and they need to know it. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you enter into power, many times you become in, uh, uh, you enter into an exclusive bubble. Mm-hmm. And this creates a certain detachment from those you represent. And there are those who are always vocal. I remember when I was a strategic advisor in, in government, uh, working with a minister, we used to get phone calls from a select group of people who regularly sent emails, sent messages, called in uh, to make sure that they're being heard. But this same minister, he represented, according to polls, roughly seven mandates. Uh, was six or seven mandates. So seven mandates in Israel at the time was more than 150, 200,000 people. Yeah. That you know, the number of people who called and, and made the themselves uh, vocal compared to those uh, who stayed at home and just voted because they could align partially with uh, the policies being pushed forward, it's it's a huge disconnect. That's why I always say if you really want to make a difference, make sure that you burst that bubble of mm-hmm you know, exclusivity of, of being excluded, so uh, so to speak, from yeah. uh, the public. And there is access. So the moment you start as a group, send a message. Sending letters. Call not it. only letters of I disagree with that or I disagree with that. Encourage them when they do something right. I think also tell them that you're praying for them. Absolutely. And really pray for them. Absolutely. Pray for well, wisdom that, for the leaders. Yeah. Yes. And I, I believe that this is uh, something that we as societies don't do enough. We don't um, undertake enough in encouraging our leaders to take the right decisions. 
And the moment we do, a lot of the divisiveness that we see today throughout the world, you know, it's happening here in Israel, it's happening in Europe, in all nation states in Europe, it's happening in the United States, Canada, everywhere. And the moment we tell those people uh, that represent us, we stand behind you, we are here to grant you tailwind, mm -hmm. to pursue the right policies, which are aligned with our faith, um, this is going to make such a difference and such an impact that people don't even realize. Mm -hmm. um, but let's go back to last week. Obviously, okay. the nuclear agreement, as we said, it's, mm -hmm. it's on the verge. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I, I think one of the things that should be clearly highlighted, mm -hmm. that is that there are generals, chiefs of intelligence or former chiefs of intelligence like Major General Tamil Hyman, who was the former uh, just before the, the current uh, incumbent one, mm -hmm. uh, who said, look, uh, I think that in the next eight years till 2030, um, Iran will be thwarted from attaining a nuclear weapon. But what he doesn't say is that in 2031, unless we do something, they're going to have a nuclear weapon. Okay. It's one school of thought. Okay. There are different generals, there are different intelligence officials. They all are privy to the same information mm -hmm. from different angles. And they all make up their uh, opinions and understandings based on the experience that they accumulated over the years and the discussion groups and, and the different advisors surrounding them and so on and so forth. But they also, you know, receive new information. It's not just based on the past, right? Or you think that the school of thought is in, indoctrinated in their heads? The school of thought is, this is my opinion unless I'm proven otherwise. Okay. So it's very hard to change if it. If you assess something, yeah. intelligence officials can assess whatever they want for the next eight years. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that you cannot provide an accurate intelligence assessment for the next eight years. Yeah, especially when you're talking about a small concrete uh, trend. It has to do with so many variables, so many various components that, uh, you know, I, I even I hear people and unfortunately uh, also uh, friends and, and uh, ministry leaders and, and people who uh, try to promote all kind of, of um, news-oriented discussions, uh, they say, oh, this general doesn't know what he's talking about. This is the way it goes. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, we need to be more humble than that. Um, and everyone has the right to express his opinion. But when you're exposed to so much information and so many pieces of the puzzle and you understand the collective understand of uh, aspect of, of what's happening behind the scenes, um, your informed opinion, focus, informed opinion is so much more accurate than all those voices surrounding us. Yeah. Nevertheless... I disagree with Tamil Hyman, okay, personally. Um, I am more of a different school of thought, mm -hmm. which is more vocal by other generals uh, and intelligence officials, in which I, I do believe that uh, within the constraints for the next eight years, and if we look at, I have here the document that provides us a clear 
understanding on the key sunsets under mm -hmm. the JCPOA and Resolution 2231, which I spoke of. It says that by 2023, next year, the U.S. and uh, EU-UK sanctions on select proliferation-linked entities lapses. This is already next year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, UN-sponsored bans on imports and exports of missile-related equipment and technology expires. Remember in the last episode last mm -hmm. week, I spoke about one pillar of a nuclear weapon, which is the proliferation of, of yes. uh, nuclear material, as opposed to the various components. This is one of those components to a nuclear weapon that is not going to ex uh, exist anymore. It's mm -hmm. going to expire next year. The UN prohibition on Iranian ballistic missile launches ends. They've been doing it anyway. Just now they can do it more yeah, openly, openly with no problems whatsoever. And then US-sponsored acid freezes terminate. Okay. This is going to happen. When does that year. terminate? Next year? Next year. So wow. it means that hundreds of billions of dollars are going to flood into Iranian banks just next year. And they can use it for their ballistic missile program they, and other component. It's that not they that need. they can use it. They're they, going to use it. Yeah. Okay. Because they are using it anyway, Absolutely. but then they'll be open. Uh, then in 2024, uh, advanced centrifuges, uh, centrifuge restrictions begin to sunset. Now, the advanced centrifuge restrictions speak about the IR6 and IR9, which under the new JCPOA, they're already installed. They're not going to remove them. Okay, so then okay. they can enrich more in, so Euro in Uranium. They can enrich more within a uh, less period of time. Okay. Then in 2025, past UN Security Council resolutions related to Iran's nuclear program terminate. UN procurement channels for nuclear-related imports ends and snapback mechanisms. So if suddenly you want to snap back sanctions by the international community against Iran, it's not going to exist anymore. So you cannot force under UN Security Council Resolution 2231 Russia and China to abide by the resolution. Mm -hmm. So people who made deals with uh, Iran will not have to forfeit the deals. Indeed. So uh, this is, the snapback is a big issue, and that's 2025, okay? Yeah, now That's soon. That's two, and a, two and some year months, yeah. Two years and some Until months. 2030, uh, unless there are going to be uh, vigorous activities mm -hmm. by the intelligence agencies. Um, which hopefully we'll, we'll never hear about. And this is something that people need to understand. The moment you hear about it in the media... It's a failed operation. Uh, it's, it's a failed operation because uh, the loopholes are going to be shut mm -hmm. for the next time around. Mm -hmm. Okay, the moment you don't hear about it, it means that... Uh, and activities happen all the time. Yeah. It means that things are happening behind the scenes and the Iranians don't detect it. They don't understand that it's happening. Yeah, the operatives are still hidden, they're not detected, and stuff uh, like that. You know, including in cyber warfare. Yeah. If you hear about a cyber activity taking place behind the scenes in, in some room, you know, undetected, uh, and suddenly it becomes media, it means that it was detected, that this loophole is going to be fixed. Yeah. Okay, and, and ultimately, the moment you don't hear about it, it means that they're working behind the scenes and they're being successful. It's always, mm -hmm. oh, there's always something happening. So this is one of, of the key things that we need to notice. Now, many people have been asking us and, and I've been uh, trying to figure this out more and more uh, about why does the United States so relentlessly want to re-engage 
into the 2015 nuclear agreement. Um, they wanted a longer and stronger deal. They failed at that. They should pursue that, in my opinion. Again, I'm from that school of thought that I believe that a nuclear agreement with Iran um, within the current uh, parameters of the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action or Joint Plan of Action, because there's nothing comprehensive about it, uh, is the wrong course of action. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a longer and stronger deal that truly scrutinizes Iran's nuclear activities. Um, but the United States is fixated on its posture. There mm -hmm. was a posture review the moment the Biden administration entered office. The whole defense establishment in the United States started reorganizing uh, its deployment of forces, its investments of uh, uh, significant funds. Uh, the focus of the United States is to be prepared for a war with China. Mm -hmm. It's uh, its peer competitor, so to speak. It's not really a peer, but it's the main competitor. Uh, the second stage is prepare the Europeans to confront uh, the uh, Russian Federation, mm -hmm. okay, to, to oppose Russia's exploitation. One of the ways to do so is by allowing uh, the Europeans to become self-sustainable from an energy perspective. Yeah. That's why a lot of this uh, um, activities with regard to uh, the changing to natural energies or, or different things on that department contradict that policies mm -hmm. to a certain degree. So there's a lot of back and forth on that. And the third thing is for Israel and its Gulf Arab partners in the region, as well as Egypt and, and others, to uh, be there to confront Iran if that happens, where the interests of both China and Russia overlap vis-a-vis -vis the Islamic Republic of Iran. This whole construct is the grand strategy. When you zoom out, this is what they're trying to uh, implement. Um, so the nuclear deal is not really a main focus in it. They want to delay it. Mm -hmm. They actually believe, and this is, I, I had some conversations with a few uh, top generals um, in the United States, particularly, as well as in Europe. Yeah. Uh, they believe that a war would break out before that um, if, you know, miscalculation occurs. They, they don't think that they would initiate it, mm -hmm. but everybody are preparing for uh, something big. And hopefully uh, the side opposing, you know, us, particularly in Israel, <laughs> but also idea. in Europe, in the United States, in Australia. Australia is a big part, uh, AUKUS, obviously, mm -hmm. United Kingdom, uh, the United States, and, and Australia, uh, as well as other alliances are being forged. Uh, India is a little bit playing on a few um, marriages, uh, so to speak. Okay. Um, and uh, we need to understand that the complexities of the world do not necessarily focus on the Iran nuclear deal as a prime challenge at this stage. Mm -hmm. We need to keep praying. We yeah. need to understand that God is in control, but we need to pray for the situation. We need to understand that our leaders are in need of encouragement. They are in need of our prayers and are in need also of us highlighting to them that we stand by certain things. We don't stand by other things. Let's make sure that they hear both. Amazing. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate uh, the time here, as usual. Very interesting. And thank you to you back at home. Please pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we'll see you next time for another episode 
of Editor's Note. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.